Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're going to be sitting down with Tatiana, founder of United Animal Rescue, which is a group of animal protectors and volunteers from all around the world united by one mission, saving animals in Brazil and fixing the broken system there to protect those who need it most. I don't know about you all, but learning that Brazil has the second largest stray population in the entire world is mind boggling. And it really puts into perspective the importance of United Animal Rescue's mission. That's why we were so happy to bring this amazing woman on to talk about the situation in Brazil, the realities of the country's welfare efforts, and how to get involved. If you like this episode, be sure to click that subscribe button to listen in on similar stories. Other than that, let's get started. Hey, Tatiana, how are you? Hi, how are you? Good morning. Hello and good morning. Is it even, well, you're in Los Angeles, so it is morning for you. I yes. was going to say, I'm like, it is morning. the time difference in Brazil. <laughs> yeah, right. Five hours. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I don't think it's morning anymore. <laughs> My phone is going nuts right now as we're talking because it's like in the middle of the day in clinics. I work until 5 p.m. and I get a lot of approvals. So, as uh, so for the ultrasound, for x rays, for the next step of the treatment. So, that's why I know. It's a time difference in Brazil and Los Angeles makes a difference in my life here because for me, it's the morning, but it's just somewhere else. It's a very, very busy day. <laughs> yeah, everyone's well underway over there, <laughs> operating under two time zones. Exactly. Well, so we're so excited to talk about everything you've done. I know anyone familiar with your rescue just knows the really the gravity of cases that you bring in. I mean, they are some of the worst of the worst animals, like the condition that they're in, the ailments they're suffering with, it's really hard to see a lot of times. And also in a really heartbreaking way, there are so many of them. So many. Yes. I want to start off kind of really how you got underway, how you got started. So can we talk about how did United Animal Rescue begin? Absolutely. It started uh, from I never had a goal or a mission that I will found one day a non-profit to rescue animals anywhere in the world, not just Brazil. And it started, I spotted a few posts on Instagram and because I followed a couple of people who really do active work in, in the animal rescue community in different states, different countries. And then I clicked on that post and it was in Portuguese. I, I obviously clicked on translation and I was horrified. First of all, what came from my mind is why nobody's there? Why is nobody, why is the dog bleeding and there is nobody there? Why is he there for eight hours and nobody, you know, assist him? So then I start to follow count after count after count. And this is why I got familiar with the Brazil. So I started donate, uh, just I was a simple donor. I was donating $20, $30 to different people in Brazil. I even didn't know them personally, but I learned through the Instagram what they do. And we started to communicate through the Google Translator. And that was for a couple of years. And then I met a girl who's from Germany. She's a Brazilian native. And she, her story inspired me because her uh, aunt is still in Brazil and her mother is in Germany. 
And most of the income they make, they send to Brazil to help her on to run the shelter. And I started to help them. And then it turned into renting a house in Brazil, taking, uh, we decided to take our first dozen of animals, but it's turned into 63 animals. Wow. Because every day, every day we get a request. And then at some point, my phone number goes shared among the local rescue groups in different states of Brazil, in different cities, not just one city where I personally knew that that woman who ran the shelter. And then all of a sudden, my cell phone started to get so many messages in the WhatsApp, Donna Tati, they called me Donna Tati, because my name is Tatiana, they called me Sheriff Tati. Donna Tati, please help, please help. And all of a sudden, like I get this a lot of requests. And then I was thinking, they found me. I didn't look for them. They found me. They need help. And I decided to register a nonprofit. And we decided, you know, among all these little rescue groups to collaborate under one umbrella, create one network of volunteers in seven cities in Brazil. I wasn't prepared how much work has to be done, but it's immense joy. Like, it's a lot of joy to do that, but it's a lot of responsibilities and a lot of regrets because the biggest regrets for me is when I don't read a message in time and that animal dies when I read the next day. So, but this is how I got from a being simple, you know, Instagram follower of couple Brazilian rescue groups into becoming a founder of this nonprofit organization, United Animal Rescue, based in Los Angeles, because I'm based in Los Angeles, and turned this into 911 operation in Brazil, primarily in a Salvador City, State Bahia, where we have 30 volunteers on the ground, three full-time drivers, four clinics that have dozens and dozens of animals arriving every single day for them to conduct surgery, x-ray, ultrasound, you know, stitch them together if if they have a urgent, you know, matter to right away before surgery starts because it's sometimes hard to get a surgeon. And they will just do a first uh, provide with the first, you know, with the first aid and saving life, stop the blood, stop the hemorrhage. That's the story. And that's just how I got here today. It is so remarkable. I mean, starting with donating $20 <laughs> and how, how it really grew from there. I mean, yeah, I feel like some people just have a heart for the animal welfare and for these missions. Um, and certainly it's clear that you do. I mean, that's so incredible. As far as your rescue work in Brazil, because Brazil is a really large place. Yes. Are you working across all of Brazil or do you have certain areas that you focus on? Yes, Brazil is a very large country and it's over 200 million population. And Brazil has the highest, one of the highest trade populations of animals in the world. Oh, wow. It's estimated at about 30 million dogs and cats that are on the street, which is, I think it takes second place after China. So what we were concentrated on, the, um, the big cities, the cosmopolitans, the, the city where uh, there, there's, a, I learned this world, a word called favela. Favela means like a little villages around the big cities. So in the big cities, you have a, a lot of rich people and they care about 
cute dogs. They care about have Instagrammable animals, uh, nice clothes. But as you take a car and you drive two miles away from that beautiful condominiums, and you ended up seeing different life in Brazil. You ended up seeing a very poor community forgotten by the government. You see those favelas were uh, building, built on top of the building, which is one story, two story, built without any building code, just the bricks. They build it themselves. And this is where we rescue, we rescue in those poor communities where there, there are tons of animals on the street, pregnant, hit by the car, blind, handicapped, uh, tons of puppies, tons of little kittens wrapped up in the bag, left in the garbage can. And this is what we do. We just go in and we just check. We check the, where the garbage, dump, garbage dumpsters are. We go through where is the food markets and see, because there are a lot of animals out there waiting food and we feed them. And so in terms of how many cities do we cover, we cover Salvador, we cover Rio, we cover Sao Paulo, we cover uh, Recife, Sao Luis, a lot of small little towns that international community doesn't know, but we uh, have a presence there because they have a one clinic in a 200 miles distance. Like you have to drive literally 200, 200 miles to bring an injured animal. So we created that a network of volunteers. They are on the ground and they're local people who've been doing this for, for years. Some have dedicated their life just to rescue animals. And they're struggling a lot because there are no government aid. There is no government support. There is no public free clinic. There is no free vaccinations of the animals. There is no free castrations for the animals. And the government is very corrupted. And they are fighting with the local government to voice out the rights of the animals. And government doesn't do anything. And sad to say that international presence of the animals groups are not there either. There is no one organization you can turn to and ask for help, for simple help. And this is why we become very fast known, recognized, and familiar with you among the, among the local rescue groups because we are the only one who, who actually help. And with their big support of their cuddly, I have to say, we guys owe you a lot for what you what your donors do to us. Your platform is, is fantastic. What you guys done for the community, for gather all these animals lovers and share their kind and and their compassion towards the animals. And they could be all over the world, but when they read our story. We have a lot of donors who like approach us personally and ask, how can I help? How can I help? Yes, I donate, but what else can I do? And we're very grateful. And Brazil is very grateful. And those animals are very grateful because if not you guys, I don't know if we, we could have done that while you what we're doing right now. So I just want to say big, big thank you. Aww. We feel so honored to be able to help. Truly, I feel like every day, Sydney and I were talking, we're like, every day we see new campaigns from your rescue. Oh yeah. It is so hard. Anyone who has any disbelief of what's what's going on with animals in Brazil, I mean, it just needs to look at what your rescue is doing and they'll see 
really the hardships that so many animals are, are faced with. It is bizarre because I think so many other places get a lot of notoriety, publicity about mm-hmm. the need in animal welfare for them, for people to step in and change things. And you just never hear about Brazil. It's interesting too, what you were saying too, about how there's not really like an infrastructure in place in Brazil. There's not government aid. There's not animal welfare programs that are, are helping the community change this. Would you say that's something, I, I know that takes years, that's not something that happens overnight, but would you say that's something you're working towards or as a long-term goal? So our long-term goal uh, always uh, was and always will be to collaborate with the, with the local authority any way possible. But here's the thing, there's, because of the local laws and the way how the veterinary clinics are being operated, it's something that um, what I had to learn from the very beginning, it, it was very, very odd. There is no unity in that community between a government, a very nice veterinary clinics who actually do provide discounted mm-hmm. services. And they would love to be contracted by a government for the castrations, for their for the vaccination. Let me give you an example of what we've done. I speak several languages, but Portuguese is not one of the languages I knew. I had to learn Portuguese to communicate. And what happened is I approached many clinics and I came up with a proposal where we conduct castrations and uh, vaccination for the stray animals and at the very low possible price. For example, it's $8 per castration for a cat, and it's a $10 per castration for a dog. If you would go uh, without our discount to a clinic, you would get triple, four times, five times a higher price than that is. Keep in mind that the minimum wage in Brazil is $220 U.S. per month. So for them to castrate an animal and, and spend a half of their salary, that's a lot. And this is why a lot of animals are not being castrated or vaccinated and they die. So I took that approach to the local authorities and through different volunteers who know uh, people who are involved in the stray animals uh, issues on the local level. And I offer them what if you would hire a contract, those clinics that we already do business with, we trust them, they do value. We bring them 20, 30 animals per day and they constrate and they've done a fantastic job. We never face a death after a castration. Why can't you partner with them at the certain price that the government can pay them and at least limit the viruses on the street that, that for example, like distemper or this is abandonment, or this animal abuse, because all these animals, they get abused. Some of them sold for the meat, some of them raped, some of them are being killed just for fun, and there's a silence. There is a silence. That is the hardest challenge that we are facing right now, and this is why we decided to continue what we possibly can offer on our level, because of the donors, because of their our network with the clinics. Let me tell you something. The 90% of the clinics closed the door on our proposals because they're there for business. They're not there for those animals down the street. They don't care. And some of them was very rude. Some of them 
because they know we are from the United States, so we're rich. We should have paid their prices, right? But those who we work, those are very humane doctors. Those are the people that deserve a Nobel Prize for what they do because the way how they handle every day and aside our patients who arrive in from the street, they also have a clinic who must make money from the residents, local residents who bring their pets, right? And they give us priority. And we are so lucky to meet these people. And they are the best of the best. They're very gifted. They're very kind. And this is how we were able to inform. So what I was asking, that why can't you advertise on Instagram, on your social media, the cost or discount that you can offer for the local community? And they banned by the local laws. They're not allowed to advertise the prices. They're not allowed to advertise certain things and their taxes are very high. So when the government doesn't help the animals, when they don't actually promote the private clinics to help the animals, what other choices do the animals have? None. Mm -hmm. And this is how we fill this void where the animals basically begging for help. They're there, they die. And this is why our rescue group was, you know, very known among those among the streets, among even local residents. My cell phone number was shared probably half of Brazil. <laughs> I had to change my phone number two weeks ago because I just could not keep up with reading because as I mentioned earlier, when I don't read certain messages, if the animal die, they blame me. I can't physically read thirty eight hundred text messages a day and respond what exactly have to be done. So I hope this conversation will be heard among other rescue groups, international society, international community who focus their goal on helping stray animals. Please come to Brazil. Please help us. Please arm us with the syringes, with the vaccine, with the, with anything you can possibly share or share the suppliers, the pharmaceutical company, please. There's a 30 million animals and everybody hear about China, about animals in China, but nobody talks about Brazil. And it's the cuddly donors who approached us personally and who had a conversation with us. The first thing what came out of their statement when, or their email, literally similar to this phrase, I never knew how bad animal fur in Brazil and how animals are suffering. Thank you for being there. And this is how usually we get communication. And it's true, people are not familiar. And I hope that people will get familiar, people who care about animals and maybe government at some point will have a little bit of pressure from the international community to change that because they need to change some things around. And it's a time for change. It's a time for people to step up and voice out animals' rights. Yeah, it is so heartbreaking to hear all this. We're so grateful that there are those cuddly donors that are, are coming to your aid. But speaking of change, I mean, I can only imagine trying to navigate through all of this as COVID-19 really was striking all over the world. How did that impact the work you were doing? Or do you have enough boots on the ground that you're able to just work remotely really efficiently? Yes, the COVID actually impacted uh, the operation. The COVID is basically, it's hard to send an animal from Brazil to an adopter in the United States. We have a lot of requests, but because of the restrictions, it's so harder right now. I hope 
with all of the district restrictions that are out there and all the severe protocol to follow, I hope it will be easier down the road and we can bring more animals to our different countries. If the, the adopter is responsible, we do the background check and everything. But yes, in terms of the operations, it is a lot of our volunteers, they are males and females over 60 years of age. And during COVID, they were spending very less time on the streets to feed animals or to go out on the market and buy some produce and make them milk. So uh, because they were afraid of themselves getting sick, so that impacted us a lot. And what we were doing, we were doing a dropship of, of food and ingredients they make in meals to feed animals uh, on the street. They take rice, the beans, the carrots, the okra, and they created sort of like a meal for, uh, we have a feeders, we have our things, bulls that we put outside on the street. And, and basically those dogs, those cats, they are always in the same place. This is their basically home. This is their smell. They know their street. And we know sometimes we get, during COVID, we would get these messages saying, hey, I'm sick. I can't feed, but I noticed that this dog, Bella, she didn't show up for five days. And I'm looking at my window and my neighbor's feeding, but she never showed up. So what happens, I'm, so I'm trying to locate Bella. And next thing you learn that Bella was stabbed or Bella was hit by a car. Those things, they, they really were challenges throughout the pandemics. And uh, most of these volunteers, they're very poor people. They don't have food for themselves. And during COVID, we were donating food to them to eat because they couldn't get out of their apartments or their, you know, not apartments, the small uh, favelas uh, type of rooms. Instead of an apartment, they have a community uh, bathrooms and a community showers. And, it, you know, there's a different grade of favelas. Some of them are sort of like a middle class or some of them extremely poor that don't even have a water supply. So we'll bring them water. We'll bring them food because we know like we have to help these people. We can't lose them. They are essential for the world, essential for animals. They're essential for community. And, and we're humans. We have to help humans too. This is how we started to turn into a mission to help any humans and animals during pandemic. And I just wish that COVID would never happen because it really took a lot of life for, for both humans and animals. And we can't wait until this will be over and more volunteers come forward and they will start to move forward with their work and with uh, our help and with their donors' help. Because every day we see we, we gain more and more people following us on Instagram, following us on all of our social media, sending us personal emails. We see increase of donations and we're very grateful and hopefully this will take a more viral impact on Brazil. We are whistleblowers. They're learning from us. And it's incredible that they're supporting us. And I hope that this year will be a turning point for Brazil, that things will get improved for the animals. Absolutely. I think we all hope. That is so hard, too, when, when they're your whole, basically, volunteers and everyone, like, really working to make this all possible they're all in an at-risk group to think that that potentially they're all at risk and they're all risking their lives to help animals and even risking like their own livelihood or self 
care really so that they can give like food to animals. That's incredible. I love it. And I, I really do appreciate that too, because I feel like, I mean, given we're here in the United States, it's very easy for people in one country to look at animal cases or animal welfare in another country and, and see the terrible parts of it and immediately think that that entire country is against animals. I think that's very easy it's to do. And so I, I really appreciate the fact that you, you say that some of these people don't even have clean water. They, you know, they're struggling. They are barely trying to keep their own families alive. It's not that they don't care about these animals. It's just, they, they have other struggles that thankfully people, you know, here in the United States, maybe we don't have that. I really appreciate that view because I, I do think it is so easy to hate, hate on a situation that you yourself don't have to deal with. So I really appreciate that. The most of the volunteers who work with, they are barely surviving. And it's not just an survival game for them. And uh, they're behind on everything, what they have to pay. And we know their situation and what they do to the animals, how they help. It's remarkable. And although there is also a flip side of it, when we were known as a group who helps animals, those who actually do have money started to take advantage of us because they thought, oh, this is a rich American company. I need to bring my poodle for a certain exams or a blood test. Maybe they can pay for it. So that is something also we had to challenge with and filter those requests. They would send us a picture of nice apartment and animals in there. And they would state, I found this animals on the street. And I'm thinking this animal never knew the street, never knew the street. And those things, and that type of situation actually made us to post less on Instagram because re, by sending our cases out there and explaining our work, it's actually had, it was a bad side of it of people who just wanted to take an advantage. And those volunteers who always for animals, they are the ones who would never ask for money. They are the ones who would never ask for help if they really don't need it. And some of them have a, such a pride in what they do. And we literally have to read them when exactly they need that help because we don't want anybody to feel embarrassed about their condition they live with. And when I first seen these videos of how they live and what they do to animals, I cried. I cried. I said, these people, they are they're incredible people. Look what they do. They, they don't eat themselves, but they go out and eat. So those the type of community we support. There's the type of community we do the food uh, program by bringing them food, them water, and their animals. And some of them, we drive 100 kilometers away, which is 60-some miles. And we do that because they're very isolated from the big towns and they cannot get to a clinic and they don't have money to, they don't have a car or a taxi to get there. So that we know all these people and we always there for them. Even we struggle in ourselves, but there's always some room to share and we always keep them at flow because if not them, you know, a lot of animals would die and they would never felt what is love and care looks like and feel like. It's so heartbreaking, but also so interesting because I know that was what I was going to ask. Like with so many of the individuals volunteering their time that are over a certain age group, I was like, well, how can we get 
younger people involved? How can we get more people in the community? But the idea that you're having to limit your exposure because there are these bad apples that are taking advantage of your goodwill and and kind heart. It's heartbreaking. It's a really hard thing that I think probably a lot of animal welfare groups have to deal with, but maybe not in the same frequency. Like I think you have a trickle of people who are inspired by the work that you do and you'll have new volunteers, but I think that must be so hard. And especially doing all this remotely. I mean, you mentioned having to change your phone number because you're getting so many pleas. So how has that been for you personally, really kind of being somewhere else and having to kind of entrust people that you know and know do good work? Like, how has that functioned for you? I was not prepared to the amount of stress that I had to go through to actually be where I am today. Because before, I used to cry about every case, but you know, at some point, you just don't have tears. You like, you know, imagine if you have a heart surgeon who open a heart, who do a performance surgery, he's gonna pass out because he's gonna see the blood, right? You're not gonna perform a surgery, right? So you gotta be strong. So at some point, you become very adjusted to the situation and you say, you know what, tears will not help. You gotta, you have to put yourself together. You have to basically be strong and start to filter who you have to help right now, right this second, right this day, and who is close to death and who can wait. And by spending a lot of time and reading those messages, it's elevated a lot of my frustration. And I had to basically deal with my own self, own being to basically take a deep breath and understand that I can't face all of it and I cannot carry guilt on my shoulders because I couldn't answer all of those messages. But with the help and faith, I can move forward and it will bring more help, more people. And it did because I was not made for mission like that. I was not made for something like that because we deal with lives. I mean, we're dealing not with I didn't respond a message to my coworker. I'm going to respond tomorrow. We deal with the life. When you deal with the life and some dog could not give a birth and you read the message 48 hours later and the dog died, like you carry that guilt over a certain period of time until it's exit out of your body. And then I learned how to deal with them. I, I started to actually authorize certain procedures without calling me, without texting me, without through our clinics we work with. And those such as, for example, animal cannot give her birth to their inception right away after the ultrasound if it's necessary. Do not even text, do not even call. You just go, you save life. Animals with distemper, you see an animal with distemper, you right away pick it up and we have a separate shelter that is quarantined for, because it's a very contagious virus very deadly virus, and the animal get transported there. There's a protocol of treatment, help immunity to fight the distemper virus. It was a phases from, from where I am right now, from years back, and it made me tougher in sort of cases, made me stronger, and especially when it's animal abuse cases. When I hear animal abuse, my blood boils, like my blood boils, and I maybe I'm glad that I'm not there. Because if I would see that person, I'd probably go to jail. <laughs> because I would probably do something to that person right there in front of him, right? But we also have 
you know, our drivers, uh, we have a fantastic drivers, David, Mario, and Sergio. They're not just the drivers. Those people, the rescue lab, they've been mugged several times. Their cell phones were taken out. You know, you, there's a story. You go to Brazil, you, you must be mugged. And it's true. Like one of our two people always, like their cell phone got, got, got stolen. It's a very common story. And it's true. They're stealing from the local people. So their their car was hijacked once. They got hit with their heavy subject, sharp, sharp, sharp subject with their head. We actually lost two people who were killed because they were on a mission and uh, and they were on a mission. They were killed not because of the animal. They were killed because they were robbed and they bled to death. And those factors, when you keep in mind what it takes to be a volunteer in Brazil, it's a real war. So they go there, and when I don't hear messages from them at night, I start to take their relatives, and I say, I can't get the message to David. Is David okay? So another thing is we have a farm. We call it Sanctuary, Sanctuary Rehabilitation Center. It's outside of the city where we based, Salvador City. It's a 40 minutes away by a car. So we have there, we build their uh, kennels and cottages for dogs and we have a local people who live there in the same village and they uh, work on the farm helping animals they have about 300 dogs there and our drivers constantly drive from a city to our shelter slash sanctuary and bring an animal if it's tested negative for all of the diseases but let's say it's blind Nobody, no one wants to adopt 10 years old blind dog in Brazil. It's like on the bottom list of their uh, willing adoption. So we bring that animal to our sanctuary and they feel love, they feel home, they feel that compassion from our volunteers. They feel that they're important, that they finally, maybe once in their lifetime, they're being appreciated that they exist. So those drivers, those volunteers, they work 14 hours a day to do what they do. 13 days straight and one day they take off. And that is the reality. It's very hard to explain through our, you know, through our Instagram or even through our story for every individual case. But these people, they, they're incredible. And just to find them and them to be devoted to this mission it's incredible. They could have made money someplace else, but they decided to do what they do know. They're risking lives. Sometimes we take a trip to 500 miles away to rescue certain animals because they're in the community where there is no veterinary help or they cannot perform certain surgeries. And we just take them in. We keep them for, for two to three weeks before the surgery, after the surgery, post-surgery procedures and pull off with the surgeon, and we bring them back, and we made a lot of happy stories with all these owners of the cats and the dogs that came to Salvador to have the most complex surgeries, and we will bring them back. You should see these people. They're, they're so happy. They cry, and I get these messages years later that my companion still with me. Bless your family. Bless your life. Bless everything. What do you guys do? It's incredible. And that's what drives us forward. This is what pushes us forward. This is what makes us to wake up and continue to do what we do. Although, you know, there's a stress involved, a lot of challenges involved. But at the end of the day, when you know you save life, even one, but we save dozens a day, it's so rewarding. 
it's it's a priceless. A farm transport efforts. <laughs> Tatiana, did you ever anticipate this would be the life that yeah. you lead? <laughs> no, I was never prepared to that. As we were evolving as a rescue group, it's all come naturally. And with the farm, it was an interesting story. So the owner of the farm, the owner of the land, he is uh, apparently a famous developer who've done a lot of projects in that city. But he also a very nice guy, very charitable guy. He, he supports poor communities. He supports children with uh, who have no access to get to a better schools. And he created this beautiful farm where he rescued different animals from horses to cow. And he will bring uh, children from schools and educate them about how to be nice to animals. He built the pools for kids. He built the, the nice you know, playground. And it's become a destination. So during COVID, where everything was closed, he had to shut down the farm, those tours. And we were looking to rent a land, piece of land outside of the city. Why outside of the city? Is because we were told a million times, and we learned from other rescue shelters, they know the address, the bad people, when they know the address, the abandoned dog at your gate. Sick or not sick, you will get tons of animals at your gate. And because we became known within the community, we knew that this would be a red flag to, to find something within the city. So this is why we took a, we were looking in something that within one hour distance that it will be hard for them to drive to do what they do. And we ran into this person, Mr. Bonfirm, and uh, we had a talk and I have a, a friend, I made a, a bunch of friends who are native Brazilians who live in the United States to help me with the language because I'm not, my Portuguese is not perfect, but they get me, they understand me. And to ask if it's possible, we can have a piece of his land as a long-term lease and we can build the facility. And he was very helpful. Because he ran the construction business, he actually built everything for us at the very minimum cost. He brought a lot of volunteers. He sold all of the items through his suppliers at the discount. So we're very grateful for this human being with a big heart because if not him, I don't even know if we could have done something like that. And that's become the United Animal Rescue Base. And this is every day we have a cameras in there. Every day I look through the cameras. I get tons of videos, nice videos. They make me so happy. <laughs> There's animals, some of them missing legs. Some of them have a broken spine and they can't be surgically operated. Some are blind. Some of them, you know, deaf. But they're all our babies. We love them. And everybody has a grand personality and they're so happy is their home and they will never be back on the street. Never until I left, they will go back on the street. And I will make everything possible that these animals will have a nice life until the day when they have to leave this planet. They will be always respectful, always cared for, and always loved. And that is my commitment. It sounds like such a special place. Mm -hmm. And it, for a group that has to really navigate so many things and different circumstances and 
it's clear that you're in the right place doing the right thing when, when certain things line up like that and you find someone who's willing to build you spaces. I mean, clearly like you're ingrained in this, in this world now of Brazilian animal welfare. Um, it's amazing. And I mean, anyone who sees the work you do, thank God for you. Basically, it's just so clear what a difference you're making in an entire country. Yes. And uh, it's what you just said to your point is correct. It's the whole universe, you know, helped us to get to where we at. It's not a coincidence. It's not a luck. It's just universe is aligning those tools and those people, those resources to basically get to the point where we at. But with very tiny little group, it's not even near the scale we wanted to do. And when somebody asked me a question, so what is the limit for you guys? And I said, you know, there's no limit because can I contract more clinics to do the job? Yes. Can I contract more drivers to do the job? Yes. What it stops you? It stops us. It's resources. It's not just about a donation as a form of dollars. It's about also participation in the cause. What is really what I'd like to hear from any suppliers for any vendors who supply the food to Brazil or any pharmaceutical company that would hear about our group, please come forward, please help us. Maybe you have a certain medication that's soon to be expired in here, but we will utilize them within three days in Brazil. We'll take them. And if you have a used equipment, please give it to us. If you have a used x-ray machine, give it to us. If you have something that we can utilize, if you make dog bags and you sell them on Instagram, but if you can donate water to, please ship it to us. It's something that you can participate within the cause and that's what creates the movement. Because one person cannot carry this on or 20 or 30. We're dealing with a country that has 30 million stray animals forgotten by international society. And I'm very bold with this statement, forgotten. Because there's no one person I can talk in Brazil who can give us help. Never PETA responded to us. Never Humane Society responded. Nobody ever responded to us. And whoever is out there, whoever hears that, please come forward with what you can give. Either it's a dog collar or cat collar or medications or a blanket or toys. Because they like to place animals, love to place. We can't even afford those, you know, those things for, for them. We do what we can, and we can't even get the donation from Brazil because they're poor. They don't even have food to buy for them. So how can they go buy a dog bed to us, right? But, you know, we, recently we got a whole truck of, of wooden pallets because we put the wooden pallet, and on the top of the wooden pallet, we put the mattress and the sheet where they sleep in kennels because in case of the water flooding, they have to be elevated from the floor, from the, from the concrete. And because of the ticks, uh, we're dealing in Amazon. There's a, we have a monkeys in our sanctuary. They sit on the trees and they uh, irritate, the, irritate our animals. They throw things at them. This is, some of the videos are really cute as the dogs barking on the monkeys, right? So, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a scorpions, there's a spiders, there's a snakes, tons of snakes. So we do all the protection for them to not get attacked by a wild animal or, or not to get poisoned or beaten by, you know, insects. And we get donations from 
the most poor people who can literally cannot spare anything, they give. And those who actually run the their chain, supermarket chains for animals, like sort of like a Petco, but in Brazil, they never came forward. They never responded to anything what we, what we ask for, items we ask for, for help. Nothing. Not one bag, not one bag of food. And this is why I, my focal point on the international community, please do not let them to die. And please do not let us to be alone there because we need you. We need you. Ever hear that, this podcast, and I'm voicing them. I'm not voicing myself. I'm voicing them and they need you. I really love that message too. I like, I like what you're saying about you know, whether it's one dog bag, one collar, one bag of food, your donation doesn't have to be some grand thing in order for it to make a difference. It's really the littlest thing will make a difference. I mean, 32 strays and counting over here. It's the littlest things can really change. Absolutely. So Tatiana, obviously there's going to be a huge rush of companies and people trying to <laughs> donate to you after this. <laughs> I don't want you giving out your new cell phone number. Yes. But how should they get in contact with you? <laughs> we have email address at info at unitedanimalrescue.com. If you go on our, our website, www.unitedanimalrescue.com or unitedanimalrescue at Instagram, we're very quick on responding to our messages and reading emails and we would love to hear from you and we would love to, you know, receive any support and help. And there could be a question, how can we get that to Brazil? So we have to figure that out together. But we have one donor who actually ordered a lot of items from China and they dropped because there's no Amazon. You can't do the Amazon gift uh, list from Amazon delivered to Brazil. It's not in our town in Salvador, they don't do that. So what she did, she approached some companies in China. They made like dog bags, blankets, uh, some of their dog collars, some of the uh, toys. And she warned me that they might never be delivered because I never dealt with the company. Let's see what happens. And three weeks later, we received the shipment and we were so happy. We sent her images and also I asked her permission if I can pair some of their goodies, which she shipped to us with a very struggling rescue that's located 30 hours from us by car. And we pair some of them items to a person who run in the rescue. His name is David. He's a fantastic guy. And this is what we do. We're not just given to, you know, we're not taking this support to ourselves, to our group. We share, we constantly share. You know, we buy 12 bags of food of 25 kilograms, which is 40 pounds. It's only last three days for us, only three days. And when the one bag costs $35 times three days, it's a lot. I mean, we go through our food costs between cats and dogs is about 8,000 US dollars a month. And we mm. can't get, a, get enough. We have to share with you know, there are some places they have no food. We arrive there and it's a starvation. You see the skin and bones and we share what we can. And uh, that would be fantastic if anybody can offer any help for these animals. You can reach us through Instagram, through 
email and please, we will help with all of the logistics and uh, how to get that help over to Brazil. So amazing. Thank you so much for bringing this to light, Tatiana. I mean, I think it's opened definitely all our eyes at Cuddly, um, and we hope it'll really inspire a lot of change from other animal welfare groups, other international groups, and of course, larger corporations to get involved with this great need. That is the goal that they can hear their voices through my voice, and that's all we want to do is to bring the awareness of the struggling animals in Brazil, public to know about it and to public to share their compassion, their ability in giving something, even if you Mm -hmm. give something that you don't need, even if you have a used towel or used blanket, we're also in a clean condition. If you can pack up in the boxes and ship it to Brazil, it will have a very good use because this dog is dead. This cat, they need that. They need that and they would appreciate that. Tatiana is really one of those remarkable people that I think really inspires so many. And I know she's doing so much to change the country of Brazil in the ways of animal welfare and the people involved. If you want to learn a little bit more about the mission involved with United Animal Rescue, you can check our show notes or our blog. And as always, remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast. And be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. That's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks, guys.